On today's show, an incredible weekend of football is in the books, and we examine the importance of coaching in both college and the NFL. Before we get there, I want to give you one reason why gambling should be legal everywhere. Tonight, the opening Monday night football game of the season, Baltimore Ravens going on the road to the Las Vegas Raiders. We are taking the Ravens at minus four. Now, a great rule in football gambling is to find coaches that you trust and just ride them for all of time. Because that is what football is about. Good coaching. John Harbaugh on the Ravens side. A man with a 10-3 and against the spread record in week one. A man who has a great record off of bye weeks with time to prepare. A man who I trust in greatly to establish an identity for a team and then get them to execute on that. Uh, We just ignore the injuries to J.K. Dobbins and to Gus Edwards and to Marcus Peters. We trust in what John Harbaugh is doing. We trust in Lamar Jackson. That kind of stuff. Don't be freaked out by the people in the crowd wearing Darth Vader helmets and big spike shoulder pads. It's Baltimore. It's minus four. That's what we're running with. And we have our reason why gambling should be legal everywhere because Monday Night Football is back. And the only proper way to celebrate is by betting on the Ravens and rooting against both John Gruden and an entire crowd filled with Darth Raiders. And now, Sports with Chris Rawl. Man, this was an incredible weekend of football. And as I was thinking about things to talk about, I could have obviously gone in a million different directions. And the topic that I'm choosing to circle in on today is coaching and the effect of coaching on football games, both off the field and on the field. I want to walk back to Thursday night and start there before we get through to Saturday and Sunday, because Mike McCarthy was there coaching the Dallas Cowboys against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And Mike McCarthy is a man who I know very well because from 2006 to 2018, he was the head coach of my beloved Green Bay Packers. During this time, Packers have a very successful run as a franchise. They win the Super Bowl in 2010. They have significantly more playoff appearances than not. They have three additional appearances in the NFC title game besides that Super Bowl run. The majority of the football watching public pretty much agreed during this stretch that, yeah, The Packers are having success, and because of this, Mike McCarthy has to be a good coach, right? The record kind of speaks for itself. In the binary terms that we want to look at sports sometimes and say, if you win, you're doing good, and if you lost, you're doing bad, that's how McCarthy was viewed as a coach. Packers are winning. You must be a reasonable football coach. Now, I have watched every game that Mike McCarthy coached on the Packers, and I was always stunned by this takeaway. Because my feelings were, this man many times seems to actively go against his own team's best interests when it comes to winning a football game. Every coaching performance seems like it's pulled from 1955. It's just conservative play calling on first down. Let's run it straight into the line over and over and over. Uh, Kicking field goals on every single fourth and short occasion that he could ever find, whether it's fourth and one at the goal line whether it's fourth and one at the 35, and now you're kicking a 52-yard field goal. Uh, And most frustratingly, with Aaron Rodgers on his roster, Mike McCarthy was very content to always play field position football rather than looking out at the field and saying, the best player on this field on either side is Aaron Rodgers. It's probably in our best interest to put the game in his hands as much as I can. 
Now, I always argued that the brilliance of Aaron Rodgers masked the incompetence of Mike McCarthy. This is one of the things that I planted my flag on very, very, very early on, probably in 2012 or so. And that really ramped up in 2014 and then beyond that. The most notable game of the McCarthy era when it comes to the effect that coaching decisions can have on a game. A game that, as I always will preach, razor-thin margins between winning and losing. You know, this is a common reoccurring theme on this show. And coaching decisions, they have an effect on those margins. The most notable game of the McCarthy era is the 2014 NFC Championship game. A game that I've talked about on this show before. Played in January 2015. Green Bay loses on the road in Seattle in overtime. Just an absolute heartbreaker. Uh, Brandon Bostick, he has an onside kick in his hands. If he just catches it and falls down, Green Bay wins the game. Aaron Rodgers is playing that game on one leg. He hurts his calf in week 17 against the Lions. He's running around like a one-legged pirate. If any little sliver of anything has changed in this game, Green Bay is the winner. You know, there's 15, 20 plays. Just one little switch, and now Green Bay is playing the Patriots that year in the Super Bowl. So you can understand in a game where the margins are this fine, the effect that a coach can have on a game. So McCarthy there in that 2014 NFC title game, it's just in all caps, embrace kicking field goals. That part of his identity as a coach. Uh, Three different times in that game, the Green Bay Packers kick a field goal on a fourth and one situation. Twice. On fourth and goal from the one-yard line, they kick a field goal. Twice. And then on fourth and one from the 22-yard line, Mason Crosby comes in and kicks a 39-yard field goal. Three different times on fourth and one. A position that it's pretty much widely acknowledged in present day that it's always in your best interest to just go for this. Regardless of who you have on your team, much less if the strength of your team is offense and the strength of your team is quarterback and you want the game decided by your best unit or by your best player. It's truly an unbelievable series of decisions, both then and now. At the time, I was freaking out. The first time, I still vividly remember everything about this game. It's a horrific memory. I remember the first time they trot out the field goal unit on that fourth and goal from the one, and I go, what in the hell are we doing in this game? It's the classic McCarthy. We are not trying to really win this game. We're trying to not lose this game, and so let's just push it down the road, and hopefully things will turn out in our favor rather than actively trying to seize the game, especially with the best player in the league, Aaron Rodgers, the dude who won MVP in that 2014 season. So I watched this clown show for over a decade. And then he left, he was fired, and Matt LaFleur came in, and my thoughts on that are are well known, just how refreshing it's been to watch a coach look at Aaron Rodgers and say, hey, do you know what's in our best interest? Putting the game in his hands. And that's why Green Bay has gone 13-3 and the last two seasons and made the NFC title game the last two seasons. Because a coach has aligned the identity of the team with their strength. Offense, quarterback, let's go from there. So I watch McCarthy and I go, I can't imagine this guy is ever going to have a job again. And then strangely enough, the Dallas Cowboys look at him and say, that's the man that we want to hire. I don't know if it's they saw the Super Bowl ring and said, proven winner, let's bring him in. I don't know if they were wowed by this strange story where McCarthy went to the offices of PFF for a week and somehow learned about analytics and said that he's embracing it now. I don't know what was going on. Maybe it's just a testament to the retread coaching hire process that's really common within professional sports. Whatever the reason, 
Mike McCarthy is hired last year by the Dallas Cowboys to coach their team. They are very bad last year. Part of that's tied into Dak Prescott getting injured in week five. And part of that is tied into just Mike McCarthy being the coach of the team and not really understanding that it's 2021. And what was common to use in 1960 might not be in the best interest of your team to to coach like in 2021. So Thursday night, Cowboys on the road, defending Super Bowl champions, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, one of the games of the week. It was a phenomenal football game. Uh, Incredibly entertaining. Just players jumping off the screen, whether on the Tampa side, Brady looked phenomenal. Whether on the Cowboys side, Dak Prescott come back from injury, A+. Just their skill position talent looked awesome. Amari Cooper was great. C.D. Lamb was great. Zeke Elliott was not great, but that's a whole other story. The main point is the Buccaneers win a two-point game, 31-29, I believe, And Mike McCarthy stamps the game in a way that only he can. I've seen it for so long that even watching the game, I was getting both laughter filling me and antsy because I I sensed what was coming on. It starts kind of near the end of the first half when there's 20 seconds to go and Greg Zerline, the kicker for the Cowboys, he's already shanked a field goal inside 40 earlier in the half. And Mike McCarthy goes, you know what we're going to do? We're going to attempt a 60-yard field goal right now with 20 seconds left in the first half. Because Mike McCarthy has never seen a field goal that he doesn't want to attempt. That's one of the core principles that he abides by. Now, Zerline comes out and doesn't even have enough leg to kick it to the crossbar. Uh, So now it's Tampa Bay ball near midfield. Everybody's freaking out at the time because it just it doesn't make a lot of sense. It's not a high probability that you're going to make this field goal and you're giving the ball back to Tampa with 20 seconds on the clock near midfield. All they have to do is essentially get one completion and now they're attempting a field goal at the buzzer. Instead, it ends up not hurting the Cowboys. Uh, Tampa can't move the ball. Half ends. No harm, no foul, right? However, it's little small moments like this that build up over the course of how a coach decides to manage a game. One that I am very, very, very familiar with, with Mike McCarthy. You can write it off when it doesn't hurt your team. Zerline misses the field goal. Tampa doesn't get to attempt it. Who cares, right? We move on. We go into the half. Dallas still can win the game, whatever. The problem is when this becomes a pattern over and over and over. And the core principle of a coach is to continue to make these in-game blunders and lean into things that are not in the best interest of the team to do. Now, McCarthy's conservative nature also rears its head. Now, this is confounding. This has been confounding for his whole career. It gets more confounding by the day because, as I've talked about many times on this show, the NFL has never been a more offensive league. That is how games are decided. You look at the very best teams and you just see Star power on offense, star power at the quarterback position, play callers who are leaning into being aggressive and continually pushing the envelope in how can we score more points, more points, more points, no matter what. Whether that's Mahomes and Reed, whether that's Brady and Arians and Leftwich on the other sideline. Now, the Cowboys couldn't stop Tampa the entire game. The only way they stopped them was turnovers. A couple fluky ones. Uh, Leonard Fnett doesn't know how to catch a screen pass. Now it's an interception. couple great plays on Dallas' side. Demarcus Lawrence punches out the ball from Ronald Jones. The main point is Tampa was moving up and down the field, up and down the field. You got a sense of that very early in the game. This is going to be a shootout. And in a shootout, it's very valuable that you probably score touchdowns rather than kick field goals. So in the third quarter, the conservative nature of Mike McCarthy just comes rearing its ugly head. 
Uh, they're down 21-16. They're inside the five-yard line, fourth down. And instead of going for it in a position that I think a lot of forward-thinking progressive coaches in the league now just kind of acknowledge, yeah, we don't even think about this anymore. We just go. If we don't get it, they're pinned inside the five. But more times than not, mathematically speaking, this will be in our best interest to go and try and score seven points. Instead, sends in the field goal unit. They kick a 21-yarder. They cut the lead to 21-19. It's kind of the staple of Mike McCarthy coaching. And within the world of present-day NFL, it's a true separator when you think about these margins of virtually nothing, uh, where having an aggressive coach that's willing to push the envelope on offense, it really is a separator on the margins. It's what Andy Reid has really made a living off of in the last few years. Now, again, this is in an age of unprecedented offensive production. Records are falling every single season across the board. Um, and Mike McCarthy, he's coaching a team that strength is easily its quarterback and its wide receivers, which played great in that game. Prescott was phenomenal. C.D. Lamb was great. Amari Cooper was great. Uh, and as funny as it was for me to watch McCarthy barf on himself on national TV again, and see everybody go, oh my goodness, I can't believe this guy is still around and what is he doing? And kind of the exact opposite uh, talking points that I heard circulated a lot 10 years ago with McCarthy and the Packers when I was still arguing against it. Part of me still has kind of PTSD from just watching these decisions made by Mike McCarthy, whether now in present day with Prescott and that offense, or whether it was back with the Packers when he just refused to untether Rodgers and put the game in his hands at every single opportunity in a way that will maximize that team's chance of winning. The Packers under McCarthy, not one season was their defense better than their offense. At that point, it seems pretty logical to assume you should always put the game in your offense's hands. Dallas Cowboys, the exact same scenario. Really explosive offense when Dak is playing, not a good defense. And at that point, you would think, hey, we need to just try and score as much as we can, regardless of opponent, much less in the season opener against an offense that's amongst the best in football and is giving our defense fits within the same game. So you get a sense of McCarthy coaching this game, a game that, again, ends up being 31-29. A lot of little tiny things could have swung the game either way. You get a sense that this is one of those things that will negatively push a game away from the Cowboys having a better chance of winning. It even boils down at the end when they get into field goal range. They're down by um, two points. And they get into field goal range with less than two minutes to go on the clock. And this is again where the conservative nature of McCarthy always comes into play. Rather than saying, if we give the ball back to Tampa Bay, every single person on earth who is watching this game believes that Tom Brady and this offense is going to march down the field and get in field goal position and they will have a field goal to win. Rather than understanding that because of the flow of the game and because of the nature of the sport in present day, they get into field goal range and it's, all right, let's put on the e-break. Let's have a short first down in completion to the right side. CeeDee Lamb runs just a short out, misses it. Okay, let's run Zeke into the line on second down. Okay, we take a penalty. Let's just throw a short pass on third down, be content to kick a field goal, give the ball back to Tampa with more than a minute left on the clock and timeout. And they zip right down the field. Ryan Suckup comes in, kicks a field goal to win the game. It was everything that Mike McCarthy brings to the table 
When, again, in the grand scheme of football, this is stuff on the margins. Uh, Dak Prescott and that offense, they played awesome. They were mainly responsible for having that team in position to win the game. Some of these turnovers, they were part of the margin play. Uh, Chris Godwin, he's running into the end zone to put Tampa above the spread. They're up two, and he gets it punched out. And now the Cowboys get the ball, come down, kick that field goal. Suckup comes back. In a game where it's decided by such small things. In a game that both defenses were struggling to make a stop all game. It is astounding present day to watch McCarthy continually trust the parts of his team that are the weakest to win the game. Let's play field position. Let's kick this field goal. And let's trust that our defense, which has not really been able to get stops in this game, let's trust that they can stop Tom Brady and this incredible collection of skill position talent to not go and get into field goal position. So this is where we start the week. And so this is kind of on my mind because Mike McCarthy just, he pokes and prods me in a way that I really have not ever gotten over, nor will. But it also makes me super aware of coaching decisions in-game and also the identity that coaches want to push upon their team. Just the simple concept of establishing an identity. It's the most important part that a football coach can bring to the table. This in-game stuff that I'm talking about, that's margin stuff. The identity itself and how you establish it, that is the main impact and the main responsibility that a coach will have on a football team. And so you see that a lot throughout this weekend, whether it's the biggest college game of the day on Saturday, Oregon going into Ohio State. Mario Cristobal has taken over at Oregon. He's recruited phenomenally there, and he has a very clear vision of what he wants Oregon to be as a football team. Our identity is going to be, we are going to be physical, more physical than anybody who lines up across from us, and we are going to dominate the line of scrimmage on both sides. Uh, Kind of a a, a different mindset than what we associate with West Coast football in general and Oregon teams of the past. Cristobal is in installing this identity of we are a physical football team and we are going to maul you. Now, they go into the horseshoe on Saturday. They are 15-point underdogs. They have their two best defensive players, Kayvon Thibodeau and Justin Flo, out for that game. I have bet on Ohio State in this game, and I'm convinced that they're just going to run up and down the field and it's going to be a track meet and Oregon's not going to be able to do anything about it. And instead, this identity really shows out. Uh, They show up, they dominate the line of scrimmage, especially on offense with their offensive line. That is the story of the game. They're just mauling Ohio State's defense. Holes opening up everywhere. C.J. Verdell's running for 10 yards, then he's running for 70 yards, then he's running for 15 yards. And at no point in the game did Ohio State have an answer for this identity. Again, the most important part of a coach. What are we going to be as a team? What are we going to hang our hat on? Mario Cristobal in Oregon, they walked in on Saturday and said, we are going to be the most physical team on this field. And then they were that. It was more important than any in-game coaching decision. On the flip side of that, it's when you try to establish an identity that makes no sense or you just lack an identity, period. That's one of the things I always rail against McCarthy with. Yeah, he has a clear identity that he wants a team to have but it's based upon 1955 football. It's being conservative. It's playing field position. It's trusting in sides of the ball that aren't your best. 
in the college game on Saturday, I'm watching Washington against Michigan on Saturday night. And John Donovan, the Washington offensive coordinator, he's trotting out an offense that seems like it's straight out of 1955. Because they had a clear identity, and it was run on first down straight into the line, run on second down straight into the line, and throw a five-yard out on third down that would be incomplete, and then punt. It was insane to watch. They kick a field goal in the second half, their first points of the game. Michigan's already running away with it. It's not close at any point. And a graphic comes up across the bottom of the screen saying, if you go back to Washington's last game against Montana, which they lost 13-7, to Uh, This field goal is the first time in 20 drives that the Washington Huskies offense has scored points. This is the confounding part of coaching. When you can have that little of success against the Montana Grizzlies, an FCS team in week one, a good FCS team, but an FCS team nonetheless, and then Michigan, which the jury's still out. Maybe they're okay. Maybe they're good. Maybe they're bad. Who knows? The main point is you've established an identity that clearly is not working and you continually lean into that. It makes no sense. And... It is a a main reason why your football team, in this case, the Washington Huskies, is now 0-2. Clay Helton and USC, that same night, they're going down in flames against Stanford. They're currently going through a classic case of this is a rudderless team that has no discernible identity, which again reflects clearly upon the head coach. Um, There's never been a moment during Clay Helton's tenure at USC where I've looked at USC and understood what their identity is. Whether it's an offensive football team, a defensive football team, a physical football team, I don't know. They've never really shown anything that leads me to believe this team has a clear understanding of itself. You go into the NFL game when you talk about this important aspect of coaching and how games can be won and lost off the field. And simply by installing an identity there, you can show up and win just with that. I go back to... Doug Peterson and the Eagles in 2018, their Super Bowl winning season. Doug Peterson, who has now been fired. So life comes at you fast in the NFL, but still, he's got a Super Bowl ring and he played a very clear role in the Eagles winning that because their identity in that year was pedal to the metal. We are going to be aggressive as possible. And that really will manifest itself by going for it on fourth down and plus territory. That's what they were the entire year. The entire team gained confidence. You could feel it. Every time their offense was out and they were in plus territory and they had a fourth down, there wasn't a question. They called plays with the understanding we are always going for it on fourth down. It culminates in just kind of a perfect metaphor or microcosm of their season. The Philly special called at the end of the first half in the Super Bowl against New England. Fourth down, clock's ticking down. We don't really have a lot of time left. Well, let's call a trick play on fourth and goal and we're going to run some sort of weird reverse pass and score a touchdown and That's how we're going to win the Super Bowl. It's a true understanding and embracing of a team's identity. Again, I'll go back to Mike McCarthy. That's what frustrates me to no end about the way that he coaches. He does have an identity that he instills in a team. Sometimes it feels like it revolves around the words, just kick the damn field goal. Um, The most frustrating part of him, it has nothing to do with in-game coaching errors, which he does make, has everything to do with this identity that he pushes onto these offensive football teams that he's coaching. Let's play conservative football. Let's not understand and recognize that this is a league that is decided by offense. And let's not understand that the team that I'm coaching, whether the Cowboys now or the Packers then, our clear strength is offense. So you look at the best teams and the best coaches. 
and they realize this. They understand this. I mentioned Andy Reid earlier, and he's a great example of a coach who understands what football is in 2021 and what the strengths of his team are. Because he calls every game with the understanding that my offense is going to win or lose this game. I have Patrick Mahomes. I have Tyreek Hill. I have Travis Kelsey. My defense, they can make plays here and there. Chris Jones, he's good for one game-changing play a game. Tyron Matthew, when he's in, he's good for one game-changing play. But for the most part, our defense is just going to kind of get punched in the mouth a bunch. How we will win is by Patrick Mahomes making incredible plays or Tyreek Hill scoring a 75-yard touchdown like he did against Cleveland on Sunday or Travis Kelsey scoring a couple touchdowns like he did against Cleveland on Sunday. Even last year in their playoff game against the same Cleveland Browns team, Mahomes goes down, comes down to the wire. Kansas City's nursing a lead. They have fourth and one at midfield. There's a minute on the clock to go. And Andy Reid, in an all-time understanding of we have a clear identity and we are going to lean into it, even if Patrick Mahomes is out. He said, this game is going to be decided our offense by our offense. So Chad Henney, you're in. I don't care. It's fourth and one, and I'm not punting the ball and giving our defense a chance to screw up. Chad Henney, they run him on a rollout. Tyree Kill, same way. Easy pitch, easy catch, first down, game, set, match. Uh, an all-time moment when it comes to this trusting in your identity. I mentioned Chiefs-Browns on Sunday. Favorite game of the day, best played game of the day. Um, really high-level offensive performance on both sides. And a really high-level coaching performance from Kevin Stefanski on the losing side. Probably my favorite coaching performance of the entire day. I was so into everything that Kevin Stefanski was doing. Because in stark contrast to Mike McCarthy against the Buccaneers on Thursday, when he's playing an awesome team with an awesome offense, and they're marching up and down the field, and he's still content to pull on the e-brake, like I said earlier. Kevin Stefanski looked across the field and said, that's Patrick Mahomes, that's Tyree Kill, that's Travis Kelsey, that's Eric Bieniemy, that's Andy Reid. They are going to come at us in waves on offense. And we're not going to win this game kicking a bunch of field goals and trying to deflate the ball and sit on it for 45 minutes of this game. We are going to have to score points in this game. First drive, they come out. They have fourth and three in plus territory. There's no question. Stefanski, he just calls a masterclass to her, a masterpiece of a game. He goes, nope, we're going for it. They get it. They end up scoring a touchdown. They kick the extra point. Kansas City takes a penalty on that extra point. So now the ball is moved to the one-yard line if Cleveland wants it. They've already got the extra point. And Stefanski looking across the field and saying, this is an offensive league, and that team is the scariest offense that you can possibly go against. Well, let's go for two. We're taking a point off the board. We're taking a calculated risk because we know we're going to have to keep our foot on the gas in this game. So they send the offense back out. They go for two. They end up getting it. So now they're up 8-0. Kansas City zips down the field. They get some points. Cleveland's back on the field. Second drive. Fourth and one inside the five-yard line. What would Mike McCarthy do in this situation? We know without a shadow of a doubt what he would do. Kevin Stefanski looks across the field and says, there's not a question about what we are doing in this game. It is 2021 and football is ruled by offense. Jarvis Landry, little end around, zips around, touchdown Cleveland. It's just the way this game was coached. By Stefanski, a clear understanding of football in present day, a clear understanding of the strengths of his own football team. Hey, we got a hell of an offense and Baker, 
played a phenomenal game. This offensive line, it can maul people, especially this Kansas City defense. Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, we can come at you in waves, just like you're coming at us. Jarvis Landry played a nice game. David Njoku making great plays downfield. Even Anthony Schwartz was filling the void left by Odell Beckham, and he's making these great play-action plays downfield. Uh, Stefanski was calling a game and maximizing his team's chances of winning. They ended up losing. Uh, It was decided by margin stuff. Nick Chubb fumble in the second half. Uh, His own punter forgetting how to handle a snap and totally botching that. And then just complete brilliance from Patrick Mahomes. But if you're the Browns and Stefanski, I feel like you go out of that game and say, all right, we understand if we play this team again in the playoffs, how we have to play and how we have to coach. This is a clear blueprint of what we need to do. We're going to maul them on offense. We're going to be aggressive on fourth downs. We're not going to kick field goals. And we're just going to continually trust in this identity that we have established as a team. So that's the identity side of coaching. And the other part, the part that is not as important but still plays a role, sometimes outsized, sometimes not at all, in winning and losing is in-game coaching. And within that realm, coaches, they're prone to make mistakes the same as players. Uh, I think we always want the mental side of the equation to be different from the physical side. And it just isn't. Uh, Sometimes you just make a mistake physically. And in that same manner, you can also just make a mistake mentally. It's kind of an often overlooked aspect of in-game coaching. Uh, There's pressure. There's a ticking clock. Sometimes in those circumstances, your brain just does funny things. Same as a quarterback overthrows a a wide open running back out of the flat sometimes, or sometimes how a wide receiver just drops an easy catch. Coaches can whiff on in-game decisions. You establish that identity, you trust in it. It makes a lot of in-game stuff very easy. Kevin Stefanski, he's not sitting there going, should I go for it on fourth down against the Chiefs? He just knows I'm going for it. It makes that stuff easy, but there's still opportunities that you can't 100% prepare for. Just little fringe stuff. And then sometimes there's stuff that you just maybe have a total brain fart. Um, I think of Matt LaFleur and the Packers who just, they had a total meltdown on Sunday against the Saints. Um, But last year in the NFC title game, I think is a good example of that. Packers are down by eight. There's four-ish minutes on the clock, fourth and goal. And Matt LaFleur sends out the field goal unit to cut the lead to five. Everybody's going, I don't really understand this at all. I'm freaking out and I'm going, we're not getting the ball back. We're trusting in our defense. This is straight out of the Mike McCarthy playbook. Tom Brady's on the other side. I know something funky is going to happen, which inevitably ended up happening. The refs decide to call pass interference for the first time all game on their third down. Give them a first down. Now the game's over. He sends out the field goal unit and I go, this is strange on a lot of levels. Most strange is that Matt LaFleur has made a name for himself being one of the most aggressive fourth down coaches in the entire league in each of his first two seasons. We even saw that yesterday. Packers, they get bombed out of the building, but their second drive of the game, they have a fourth and one at their own 34, and Lafleur keeps the offense on the field. And the announcers are going, maybe they're just trying to draw them off sides, and I'm watching it going, I don't think so. This is just, this is how he likes to coach. He understands the strength of this team is Rodgers in this offense, and we're not going to trust in this defense if we don't have to. Now, in the NFC title game, in the biggest possible moment with a Super Bowl berth on the line, just a, a mistake. 
he admitted as much after in a press conference, said, ah, I, you know, if I could go back, I just wish I hadn't done that. Uh, doesn't make it any easier to swallow, but it also helps contextualize in-game coaching mistakes and how coaches are prone to make them same as players are prone to make physical mistakes, at, sometimes at the worst possible time. Sometimes you're catching a snap like Tony Romo to have a field goal kick to win a playoff game, and then you just fumble it and, and you've lost against the Seahawks. Sometimes you just make mistakes, right? I go back to the college game on Saturday. And probably the strangest play of the entire day was in Florida State against Jacksonville State. Jacksonville State, FCS team. Florida State, they're riding high after coming back against Notre Dame the week prior, taking them to overtime. Everybody's optimistic about Mike Norvell and that coaching staff. Next thing you know, they're in a dogfight against Jacksonville State. Jacksonville State is down by three points. They're on their own 41. They're six seconds on the clock. And Florida State somehow runs a defense that completely lacks awareness for what this situation is, which is there is six seconds to go on the clock. After the game, Mike Novoel, he's talking about it, and he says, well, yeah, this is a quote from him. We ran a two-deep man under. We tried to get pressure on the quarterback. They still had one timeout, so we didn't go to immediate prevent. So they're not playing prevent defense with six seconds to go on the clock and 59 yards of ground to cover. So Jacksonville State runs back, and they just throw kind of a normal pass down the sideline. And there's two Florida State defenders in the vicinity. Jacksonville State guy catches it, makes one kind of miniature cut. One defender's running off. Now there's one guy left. Receiver comes in, blocks him. And Jacksonville State is running into the end zone with no time on the clock. Walk off 59-yard touchdown. Truly a strange play, even in the world of college football, which is defined by strange plays. But even more so when you look at it on the coaching side. And you say, how... Is there ever a situation where a team could win on a walk-off 59-yard touchdown pass that's just kind of a benign play call? Just a guy running a vertical down the sideline and nobody really covering him in that situation. A true, incredible in-game coaching error that ends up costing your team the game. A lot of times these things don't manifest themselves. But when they do, they're so easy to understand and pick up on And they're also so easy to say, how could you ever let this happen? You should have been able to understand in this moment, we probably, yeah, the clock's ticking, yeah, there's pressure, yeah, we're only up by three, but maybe we should call a defense that understands there are six seconds to go on the clock and let's maybe not let anybody get behind our defense. Um, I mentioned stuff that doesn't necessarily hurt you within the game, but over the course of time, there's it just detracts from your team's ability to win. Uh, I go back to Mike McCarthy and I understand that's how his entire coaching career has played out. doesn't always bite you in the butt, but when it's every single game, it diminishes your chance of winning by 1%, let's say. There's a moment on Sunday I'm watching Jets and Panthers. Panthers end up winning the game. Jets offensive line. Oof, that's going to be a rough, rough, rough go of things for Zach Wilson this season. But Matt Rule on the Carolina side. In the first half of that game, he has a fourth and six from the Jets' 33-yard line. There are a lot of things you could do in this situation. I'm always the person who would lean towards, you just go for it. Uh, That's a 50-yard field goal. Okay, it's not a gimme by any means. 
I would always just prefer in an offensive league to say, send out the offense, try to get it. If not, so be it. If you want to kick the field goal, okay, I get that. That's also fine. I would prefer for you to be aggressive and go for it in a way that Stefanski was on Sunday, in a way that Andy Reid usually is, in a way that Matt LaFleur usually is. Instead, Matt Matt Rule sends out the punt team. The one option that I just, I can't ever understand in the context of football in present day, dominated by offense. He sends out the punt unit from the 33-yard line of the New York Jets and ends up punting to the 15-yard line. It is a net punt of 18 yards. You're exchanging the opportunity to hold on to the ball or to attempt a field goal and get three points on the board for 18 yards of field position. Now, it doesn't end up hurting the Panthers in the grand scheme of who won and who lost the game. Panthers, they were the better team. Again, the Jets were completely overwhelmed along the offensive line. But this is the kind of stuff that separates in the NFL. It is the microcosm of a sport that is one on the margins. So when you're making coaching decisions in-game like this, either that's your identity or either you're just kind of having a brain cramp and going, uh, send out the punt team. I don't care which of those it is. You're detracting from your team's chances at winning a football game. Doesn't hurt them on Sunday, but if you coach like that continually, it will come back to bite you sooner rather than later. And I mean... When it comes to these things that you can't necessarily plan for, even the best are susceptible. I'm going to end going back to the Chiefs and the Browns game. Um, Andy Reid, Kevin Stefanski, two of my favorite coaches in the league. Two coaches who were phenomenal for the vast majority of the game on Sunday. However, Andy Reid, at the end of the first half, Cleveland has the ball. They've stalled out. It's fourth down. They got 60 yards or so to go to the end zone. Clock's ticking. Kansas City has a timeout. Now, Kansas City looks at it and says, oh, Cleveland's going to let this clock dwindle down and they're going to take it into halftime and we're content to do that. We don't want to run any more plays. We don't care. So we're going to sit here and let the clock tick down and we'll all go into halftime together and be one big happy family, which I'm watching at the time and going, no, you need to call a timeout with 20 seconds to go and force them to punt because if Cleveland wants to, most teams don't necessarily do this because maybe coaches are conservative. Maybe they just don't fully understand it in the moment. I don't know. But if Cleveland wants to, they can call a timeout with a couple seconds to go on the clock and run on offensive play because when the clock hits zero, it doesn't matter. So they can run whatever they want. So Reed doesn't call the timeout and force them to punt. And Stefanski, understanding this, again, coached a hell of a football game. He goes, This is maximizing my team's chances of winning by 0.001%. Who cares? It's an edge in a sport that is dominated by the margins. So he calls a timeout with a couple seconds to go on the clock. And so now Cleveland can run a play. Hail Mary, a lot of people are thinking, Kansas City is thinking that. So they say, we're going to bring pressure. Let's send a blitz. He won't have time to throw a Hail Mary. It won't be able to develop. We'll just go into the half, be one big happy family. doesn't matter. Cleveland understands this and calls a play to combat it. So now they bring a blitz and Baker Mayfield dumps it off to the right side immediately. So we got a bunch of defenders behind the play and Cleveland sets up essentially a lateral style play and they're running across midfield to the 40 to the 30. Now they're pitching it. Now they're down to the 20. It ends up with Baker Mayfield being tackled at the 10 yard line with the ball after multiple laterals. Now, again, it doesn't end up costing Kansas City. 
It also represents stuff that I am always fascinated by. And when it comes to the most progressive coaches and ones who are truly winning to maximize their edge literally anywhere they can, it's a great representation of that ability, which separates even coaches at the very highest degree. Hey, I understood there's a tiny edge in game that nobody would ever really plan for, but I'm Kevin Stefanski and I understood it and I took it. So they don't end up scoring. They don't even end up winning the game. Again, chub fumble, punter can't catch, all that kind of stuff. They were in position and a lot of that boiled down to execution, identity, and coaching. And that final play of the first half, it's where edges occur in the NFL. It's establishing an identity, first and foremost, obviously, biggest part. And then maximizing every possible in-game edge you can when it comes to coaching decisions, both simple and complex. Remember to subscribe to our YouTube channel at CEO.com.